Making the right financial decisions takes time, skill, and effort. The Savvy Brokers Club podcast delivers strategies from today's thought leaders that help you build and maintain your financial freedom. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce. Welcome to the Savvy Brokers Club podcast. Today I'm joined by Javier Garcia, Senior Vice President of Mortgage Lending at the Federal Savings Bank. Javier, what a pleasure. Pleasure to be here, my man. No, thank you, brother. I, um, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. I mean, just uh, the, the conversations we've had, all spiritual. <laughs> I mean, here we are talking to Savvy Brokers Club, but that's when you know uh, it's real, right? When it's not about the thing that we're here to talk about. It went off on a tangent. Absolutely, man. I think uh, there's a reason why God is working among us, right? Absolutely. And he's connecting us with other people that also are in alignment uh, with with faith. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting as we were talking just your story, you know, in, in the industry, how long you've been in it, because you've been in it since you were a teenager. Yeah, man, I was really blessed. I actually fell into the business. I always kind of say blessed by dumb luck, <laughs> uh, just knocking on the right doors. And I was a newspaper salesman and I ended up knocking on a mortgage owner's door. He asked me if I spoke Spanish and I said, absolutely. And the rest is kind of history. He gave me a job. Wow. I was a glorified telemarketing assistant for him and did that for the first three years of my career uh, before I went ahead and ventured off and got my license. That's so awesome, man. I mean, it's uh, just serendipitous. And the fact that you've been here, um, how long has it been now? 20? Oh, it's starting to feel old, but yeah, 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 23 years. That's crazy, man. 23 That's years strong. Um, I can honestly say to have never really taken any like uh, lapses between market crashes, different, you know, they, they say like different waves of recessions and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of stepped foot into the business right after 9-11, um, which was a recession in its own. We're yep, yep. seeing a lot of volatility in the marketplace. So I kind of say the best way to get your foot in the door is when you're going into it at the heat, like, you know, basically ground zero. Absolutely. And that's what you hear a lot. Then when uh, everyone's running out, you should be running in, right? And it sounds like that's Absolutely. what you did. But and then that kind of goes along with uh, even just the conversation we were having about fear and, and how... Um, you know, fear hasn't stopped you. And if anything, it's it's really more so of doing the right thing. And the journey that you've had through the industry is, is a testament to that, I think, just in terms of the things that you've experienced, both good and bad, right? Well, I think that was the biggest blessing. Getting into the business as a young man, I didn't have any form of fear. I was really fearless, right? Um, I used to kind of look around in the room, and a lot of people were in their 30s and their 40s. They had children, family that they needed to take care of. Here was a teenager with nothing to lose, still living at home. So right. I was able to really refine my skill set. Um, I was never afraid of hearing no in door-to-door sales. I think you're, the door gets slammed on your face so many different times. Um, I remember one time being run out of a building that I snuck into because they had no solicitation. <laughs> really? <laughs> like literally on the front door said no solicitations. I was like, well, I need to meet my quota. And uh, there's about 30 units in this building. I'm going to go ahead and get in there. And sure enough, I had someone like chase me out of there. I was wow. only 15 years old. Wow. So that fearless approach of just... What happens if I fail? Well, I'll just go back home. Yeah, right. Right. Mom and dad are taking care of me at the time, so that really allowed me to like really refine my skill set and just kind of gain my confidence in hearing no. I always kind of tell people it's a it's a batting average, right, in this business and in sales in general. And Barry Bonds, you know, <laughs> a lot of people talk about those home runs, but nobody talks about the strikeouts. Yep. Right. And that's what business is about. Absolutely. It's about the strikeouts. Absolutely. And 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 the one thing you've done, I mean, so you, I mean, you're alone 
you know, provider, right? Uh, you help people through that process. But the, the more importantly, and, and what I really would love to, to touch on is just how you use the, the platform to really connect with others, to add value, to be different, right? Um, in the way that you treat even realtors, but also the clients that you serve in that you, you're more of a coach, right? A consultant uh, of sorts. Absolutely. So one of the things that I've dealt with a lot in the minority community more than anything, right, is that a lot of times they're seeking professional advice. Um, a lot of the people that are in our business just don't know how to dumb it down, mm. right? And I think that that's one of my best qualities. Um, I remember, I don't even know, uh, Fernando Pacha uh, was one of my first mentors in the business, right? And he used to say, like, Javier, we do everything by the KISS mantra, Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> He's like, you're you're a sophisticated guy. He's like, but don't be overly sophisticated if you're working with a certain consumer. He's right, like, you right. got to dumb it down. You got to be able to speak to them in layman's terms. So I think that's where my gift really parlays and just kind of simplifying that process, explaining to them exactly, hey, this is why you're an FHA buyer. This is why you're a conventional buyer. This is why you should use your VA benefits. Because believe it or not, even I've had a lot of veterans sometimes where they didn't really get the concept. There's a sense of pride with veterans sometimes where they feel like the certificate of eligibility is a handout right right um, so you have no idea how many times I had to have conversations with veterans where they were opting out of the VA loan because they felt like it was charity from the wow. from the VA Interesting. right and there's a lot of people you're a veteran yourself right yep, yep. where sometimes there's a there's a big uh, disconnection between the veteran and the organization itself, yep. right? Like, I don't know if you've ever had to go to a VA hospital, right? Oh, yeah. But you're going to be waiting for a while. Um, so in a lot of sense, there's also a little bit of a disconnection there. So yeah, yeah. just kind of demystifying that process and just kind of explaining to them who they are as a consumer at that stage and the fact that I always kind of tell everyone, we're in this for the infinite game, yeah. right? Not the short term. So I always kind of tell people, like, your first loan is really your loan to, for the acquisitions, to get your foot in the door. There's going to be options for you later on, depending on what steps you take after that day. So it's just about educating more than anything. And it, one of the things I found interesting was just as we were talking about growing up, how um, it almost seems like you're a groom for that, right? That. Yeah, at one point you mentioned even just being like an immigration attorney, right? That you had to take on that role for your parents. I think any Latino uh, <laughs> that's grown up in, you know, first generation Latino here in America, we've grown to be our parents' um, translator, yep. right? So that's why I say like immigration attorney, because like I remember when my parents were getting naturalized, it was in 96. So I remember just reading some of the documents and just trying to have to teach my parents basically how to pass their exam, you know, right? Because they basically take what you would say like a constitution exam sometimes yep. um, to, for them to get their naturalization. So that's the part where it's like, you know, the whole mantra is like, pa que te mandamos a la escuela? Right? You yep. know what I mean? Like, yep. where are you going to school for? Um, I think Latino parents also kind of put that emphasis on their on their children as well, yeah. too. And it also shaped you in just in terms of being uh, the researcher you are today. That's one of the things that yeah, that we had also talked about was just that once you go down a rabbit hole, that's, you know, you, you want to know as much as you can about that one thing. And it was, I found it impressive, too, that even at a time when computers were around, that you didn't necessarily have access to it at home, but encyclopedias were, you know, your, your go-to source. Yeah. No, I... Because of the lack of resources, right? So, like, I remember being in school and having computers at school, but you you only have access to the co the, the computer during school hours. Right. Um, I actually grew up in the old Irving neighborhood, so I remember I used to go to this Washington the Washington Library that was over on Lincoln and Montrose. Yep. And that was a place where I literally would ask my mom to go drop me off because if I was always a very uh, 
prideful individual in regards to getting good grades. I always kind of say I have that middle child syndrome of validation, right? So my validation in school was having good grades. And, you know, receiving that student of the month award or just being able to, I did so many spelling bees, man, when I was in elementary school, like that was my form of validation. It was awards, right? It was like, I was, I've been an award whore my whole life, (laughs) basically. Right. Um, So just, uh, that's really where I really also um, just kind of center myself, right? As I always say, I'm a product of the CPS school system. And at an early age, I bought into the idea that education was gonna be my exit strategy, right? Because even though I grew up in the North Side, I used to always joke with my parents because that was the biggest fight between my mom and dad. My dad always wanted to take us to the South Side because you could get more bang for your buck in the South Side. My mom having three boys, she was like, you're not taking my kids to the South Side (laughs) because there's more crime in the South Side. And we used to hear horror stories of like some of their friends who did live in the South Side and their kids getting involved in gangs and stuff like that. Um, So my mom was just one of those uh, matriarch in our family, like you are not going to take us to the South side. So we were usually the poorest people on the block. <laughs> so in that sense, we did have every resource possible, right? Cause my dad was a butcher. So we never went hungry at home. We actually ate like Kings. Um, and my That's dad would cool. like always kind of like emphasize like, yeah, that T-bone steak. If you were to go to one of these fancy downtown restaurants, probably paying 40, 50 bucks for that. Right. And like, like enjoy it, appreciate it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. just appreciate it. And because he did wholesale, um, meats mm-hmm. like he basically like he worked for a meat distribution company uh, Morris Meats to give him a quick shout out because they were all amazing in our for our family because they gave us so many different opportunities but he sold at some of these luxury restaurants and he would always kind of like emphasize like you know it's about ability to learn so he would always ask questions to the chefs there my dad was always a really good cook so that That's was really cool. that was something that he always brought home and you know we, that's how we kind of got our little bit of our culinary taste mm-hmm. was that my dad would always experiment and kind of cook some some of the stuff that he would see in some of these high end restaurants as well. Yeah. Um, and that was also his side hustle. So my dad's from Zacatecas, Mexico. Um, so they have like a, a birria, and, you know, which is basically a marinated uh, goat goat meat. Yep. And I remember that a lot of the times because he was in wholesale. He would get the meat at wholesale prices, and then he would do the catering for the quinceañeras, for the weddings, and stuff like oh, that. Oh, no way. So, yeah. So, I remember he being- He was a hustler. He was busy. Oh, my dad was always a hustler. I think my dad was my first sales mentor. Wow. In the in that regard. Yeah. Where he always figured out a way to monetize something. Yeah, for yeah. him, it was the seasoning, right? He knew his birria was, was one of the best, according to himself, because it was from Zacatecas, and Zacatecas, that's what they're known for. And so a lot of these quinceañeras, weddings, and stuff like that, we actually did the catering for a lot of that. So I remember- and I'm sure you had to help. <laughs> we had to help. The chile guajillo yeah. isn't going isn't gonna to peel itself, all right? So the chile guajillo, you got to you, you boil it, you know, but yeah. before you boil it, you got to open it up, seeds. take all the seeds out, mm-hmm. then you put it in the water, you boil it, and that's how you make the sauce for the other mm-hmm. one. Um, so I remember he used to always tell us, limpense las manos porque se van a enchilar el pepino, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> which that's is basically so, that yeah. chile guajillo stays in your hand, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. The last thing you want to do is grab your pepper and all of a sudden it's like it's on fire Uh, so it's just one of those things where we just had a like really open dialogue in our house Um, so I'm very appreciative of my parents for that no and 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 it's you can hear just uh, the the pride that you have um, the admiration you have the respect you have for for both your parents but you know your dad and as we talked about that now it's interesting you bring up the sales part because I didn't know that uh, you know with regards to your dad but that you've taken this to another level right in terms of how you 
um, have turned it into a methodology. And it's not just a methodology for sales, but also for life because you realize that, hey, it's you doing it, so we got to take care of you, right? Absolutely. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, the, the habits, the, you know, being consistent and disciplined. But you mentioned the, the meds, you know, uh, principle or theory. Yeah, no, so that's uh, Six Habits of Growth. Um, so, you know, the, he believes in the, the med system, M-E-D-S, right? Meditate, exercise, diet, and sleep. Sleep is super important. I was going to tell people uh, who sometimes like see me wake up at 4.35 in the morning because I'm a I'm a storyteller on my social media, right? Mm-hmm. So like I always say, I want the consumer to know like what my day-to-day is like, right? Um, so a lot of people are like, dude, how the heck do you wake up at 4.35 in the morning and kind of keep that consistent? I was like, well, when you wake up at 4.35 in the morning, you're usually tapped out by six, seven o'clock. So I'm like, so I usually tend to go to sleep early. Um, so I make sure to get my sleep. Um, exercise is super important. Exercise to me is something that a lot of people just take it as an aesthetic, right? But believe it or not, that's when I'm creating my content is when I'm exercising in the morning, right? And it's not necessarily about creating the content, but thinking about the right, logic right, with right. the content. What am I gonna post today? What do, What does my audience want to hear? today or what do I think that my audience needs to hear today as well too. That's also that's something very important and then diet, right? So like I'm very prideful um, that I have lost a lot of weight because weight was not an issue uh, that I cared about when I was a teenager. I've always been a heavy kid. That's why it was the poor joke that I used to say. It was like, what was the last time you saw yourself with a six pack? I was like, I think I was three or four years old right. because after that, it was I was a goner. You know what I mean? I, I was a really, I was a gordito in the family. My my nickname at home was Albondiga Compat. Wow. Which is basically meatball with legs. You know what I mean? So Latinos have a way. Not even legs, just feet. Just right? (laughs) And (laughs) Latinos have a way where we like, you know, and I always tell people like that's the Spanish language, right? You know, we, there's a lot of things that in English can be translated differently, right? Um, You know, it's como mi negro, mi negra, you know, like we, it's a term of endearment. Mi gordo, flaca, flaco, whatever it is. whatever. Yeah, whatever, you know? Literally Um, my oldest uh, answer, she passed away at childbirth, the oldest one, but she was La Huera, uh-huh. and then the second born, La Negra. <laughs> yeah, it's just very simple, right? She didn't like it, though, but... <laughs> well, it's just like, we had, we kind of had the same thing, right? Just because, like, in my dad's side of the family, and my mom's side of the family, actually, now that I think about it, um, all of my aunts and uncles had, like, three, four kids, right? They're all very light complexion, and then there's always the morenito, right? So, like, I was the morenito out of the three boys that my parents had, um, and literally, like every one of my cousins, they all have a morenito in their, in their side of the family, right? Mm. So it's, it's, we're different. I always say, like, Latinos, we're, we're kind of built different. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of like also, like, you know, husband and wife, viejo, vieja, right? Like, yep. at least, you know, for, yeah. for, for, for Mexican households, like, we tend to use that a lot. Um, but yeah, it was just, we're, we're just built different. You know, I mean, we're tough people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and hard working. You know, that's the other part of it too. And, and you know, that, that it's obviously that you, you've taken those things and run with it. But I guess for you, what, what would be the advice that you give, would give your, your younger self, right? Because I know that you've been through a lot of changes um, and, and you're very yeah. uh, um, self-aware. So what are those things that maybe, you know, you did breaking into the industry that looking back, you would do a lot differently now? Well, number one, um, the chip on the shoulder is something that can only take you so far, right? Um, like I've realized that because like sometimes you have, kind of have that proverbial chip on the shoulder. So as blessed as I was getting into the business at 16, when I was 19, um, I wanted to start making that big money, that big bucks, 
as we like to call it. I didn't want to be an assistant anymore. I wanted to go ahead and actually get that opportunity to originate. And uh, I wasn't given that opportunity with my first brokerage. They wanted to kind of keep me in that, you know, assistant role. And that kind of built a little bit of a chip on my shoulder where it's like, I'm going to prove wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. And it's one of those things where it did, you know, catapult me in regards to just kind of having that chip on the shoulder for the first couple of years. But it gets to the certain point where it can make you toxic in the sense where it's like you're not really looking at the big picture and sometimes you're not listening to other people. So I would tell my younger self to listen more, okay? Um, in Espanol, we have a saying, calladito te ves más bonito, <laughs> right? Um, so sometimes it's a matter of just listening more. Um, I've always considered myself to be a student of the game, to be smarter than my competition. So my biggest obstacle, believe it or not, uh, when I first started as a like independent loan officer, was that I looked like a little kid. Right, so I kind of had a baby face. Yeah, we still do. So a lot of people sometimes are like, "Hey, you're like, how old are you?" And I used to lie. Actually, for the first ten years of my career, I lied about my age. So you're ten years older. I was always ten years older, yeah. right? And I didn't want to let people know that I was twenty, twenty-one. You know, because all of a sudden they're like, "Well, you're younger than my kids. Like, how are you am I going to trust you <laughs> with doing my mortgage, uh, or how am I going to trust you to give your referrals?" And, you know, if you were talking about your referral partners, which that's also one of the things why I kind of like tell people like the chip on the shoulder. Um, so when I first got into the business, it was the wild, wild west, right? Stated income, stated asset loans. There was all different kinds of unscrupulous uh, methods of doing business. One of the biggest culprits that I saw were that chip on the shoulder uh, with real estate partners was that they always wanted a kickback mm. back then. Back in the old right? right? Back in the old days, well, there something that was happening, it, right? right? There right. wasn't, you know, there was loss. There was always loss, right? <laughs> yeah. So I always joke with people. I was like, I'm too cute to go to jail. I'm not going to give you a kickback. Uh, but it was something that was a common practice back then in the wild, wild west. It's like, uh, I always like to call that era. Um, so it just was one of those reasons why I was like, I removed myself from the retail business and I actually like engulfed myself in the online business hmm. where uh, like that's when Lending Tree was coming about. So Lending right. Tree, LeadPoint, Military.com, Mortgage.com, like Ooh, all of these yeah. websites were coming out. And I always kind of tell people like, I really do have to say that my career catapulted when I realized, okay, what are my obstacles? Assessment. I'm young. I don't want to break the law. I need to get together with the consumer. That's what it was, right? Because as a loan officer, all they tell you is like, hey, you got to go out, you got to shake hands, kiss babies, you got to meet some realtor partners. The realtors are the ones going to send you business. And my thought process, you know, coming from the city of Chicago, I always kind of tell everyone, I'm like, hey, um, I consider myself to be an inner city kid, right? And, you know, everybody's seen the movie Blow, right? <laughs> You know, so uh, George, you know, he asked himself, was like, okay, well, how do you cut the middleman now? And that's when he flew out to Mexico and, you know, got to the source, right? So I, same thing for me. It was like, well, why am I going to kiss the realtor's butt if I could get to the source? And the source was online leads, right? Interesting. So for me, I was like, well, where do they get their business? And sometimes some build it through spheres. Some of them were buying leads and then they had dialers and then they were sending it out to their referral partners. Um, so I went straight to the source. So I went to LendingTree, I went to LeadPoint, I went to Lower My Bills, Military, like every possible lead platform that there was, I tested it out. And to me, it allowed me to refine my skill set because those consumers were always shopping around no matter what, right? So it was like, okay, well, what can you offer me? Because so-and-so offered me this, and totally so-and-so offered me this. Right? So it's a totally different experience. Like you, you really had to become an expert 
so that this way you could debunk anything that the previous guy had told them. You also had to learn how to poison the well, right? And that's a that's a term that a lot of people are like, whoa, like what's yeah, going on, right? <laughs> you got to poison the well, all right? So poison the well to me was a term that I created because for a while, like I was really good at taking applications, getting pre-approvals out, but the pre-approvals weren't coming back with contracts, mm. right? So this is the part where I talk about the chip on the shoulder, right? It only serves you for so long. So I used to prepare my clients. Hey, you're going to meet this real estate agent, and this real estate agent is going to tell you that he doesn't know me and that he wants you to work with their lender. And this is the reason why they want you to work with their lender. Their lender is whining and dining them. Their lender is you know, buying them tickets to go see sporting mm-hmm. events. Right, right. They're sometimes doing kickbacks, and that's a conflict of interest, Mr. Consumer, or Mrs. Consumer. So I want you to be loyal to me. I want you to know that whenever you need me, I am going to be there. Right, so before Jake at State Farm, or before Allstate, that was my <laughs> slogan. That was my line. I'm gonna make myself available because that other loan officer has a wife. He has kids. I don't have a wife or kids. I'm living for you. Wow. Right. That was my pitch. That was my sales point. Availability. That's strong. Very strong. And that's why I was very successful in the lead business. A lot of people used to be like, how the hell is Javier converting his purchase leads when none of the other loan officers are converting their purchase leads? Is because I was poisoning the well. Wow. And I would then get real estate agents to call me and be like, how dare you tell the client that I'm going to send them to my lender and this is the reason why. And I was like, well, is it? I'm never going to send you business. I'm like, "This, you didn't send me this business. Bye. Hang up the phone. Call my client back. Hey, thank you so much for having my back. Wow. So I created a trust with the consumer that I think a lot of loan officers missed the boat on. Because you routinely, your mentors are telling you, like, hey, you, the holy grail is the real estate agent. And I was like, ah, I don't really believe that. I think the consumer is the holy grail. As long as you take care of the consumer and you educate the consumer, you prepare the consumer, the consumer will always come back. Right. Right. And it should be that relationship with realtors that you're, I mean, it, it's a relationship, right? Yeah. It's not a, a one-way street. And a lot of times you experience that. It seems like you, you just didn't want to be that. You wanted to be different. I and, wanted to be and different. Bring value. But it was also that chip on the shoulder. Right. So, right. So that's the part where I do say that chip on the shoulder could only work so well because there were some really good real estate agents that I just didn't respect or didn't give them that, 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 that respect, sure. that, you know, that, that platform where I didn't even want to listen to what they had to say because I had this chip on the shoulder, like all realtors are bad and realtors are doing this. And that's where I really do say, like that's where maturity, right, um, really comes into play and maturity brings you wisdom. That's the one thing that I've learned where it's well, like, can, hey, you right? know what, okay. well, that you should, right? I've had a lot of people, I posted that one time and everybody's like, I've met some really stupid old people. Yeah. <laughs> that's very true, that's so true. Right, but it should bring wisdom, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't like dawn on people or whatnot. Um, but at least for me, like I've met so many different, like just high character real estate agents in this later half of my career where it was like, hey, you know what? They're not all bad. There's actually some of these people that are really good. Some of them are just lost. They don't know how to do business or they don't know any other way, right? Some of these people are just hustlers. Some of these people, um, their mentors aren't really mentors. And I always kind of say like, there's a big gap in leadership. And this is not just like real estate. I'm talking about the lending side as well too, right? Where it's like this sink or swim type of type of mindset where it's like, you're gonna figure it out mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I figured it out. Right. Um, there's also like this idea where you're not supposed to collaborate and share. Right, and but I've noticed that the people who don't collaborate and share 
are the low level people. And they don't thrive. They don't thrive. Nope. They always stay like that's why like my coach uh, always says like hey go talk to a fifty million dollar realtor who does that and you're gonna see how humble and you know how how their mindset is completely different than compared to that five million dollar a year guy who thinks that making a hundred thousand is being a big shot. Yep. Right. Yep. So like that's where you start like advancing in your career where you're just like you know what. I need to work with people who are at the same level or that same mindset that I'm currently at, as opposed to kind of dealing with these other like agents where they're just not there yet, yeah. right? So like I, that's why I always kind of have this connotation where I say I'm the oldest, I'm the oldest young man in the room, right? Because old in the sense that I've been doing this for 23 years, but I'm only 39, and I kind of look at life a little bit differently now. Um, my partnerships that I do have with my real estate partners, I pour into them. I always kind of say I'm like uh, sometimes the scolder, right? Where I'm like, hey, why are you doing this? Like, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the consumer, right? It's about having that tough conversation because it's going to put our buyer in a better situation. Obviously, I'm a lender, so I work specifically with buyers. But I've also learned that you got to work with listing agents and you got to make sure that you satisfy the seller's needs as well, too, right? So it's just a matter of collaborating a little bit more and just having those conversations. A lot of people ask me, like, what makes you and your team so successful? And when I say my teams, I'm talking about my real estate partners, because mm. we always consider ourselves to be a team. I was like, because we collaborate. We talk. Yeah. That's what community We're willing is. to have that conversation with the listing agent and say, hey, my buyer has money, but they don't want to spend it all. We're going to ask for some credits. So what number is it that we need to meet for your seller? What's the, what's the, the magic number that you guys need to meet? And let's, let's build on that as long as we have comps, as long as we have the numbers that actually will parlay for what we need. Let's make something work. Your seller is going to be happy. Our buyer is going to be happy. Um, but I'm realizing that those are conversations that you have with more experienced people. But that's why us experienced professionals, we need to take the new generation, the new agents, the new loan officers that are coming into the business under our wing, and just try to help them learn from our mistakes as well, too. Yep. No, all good stuff and a lot of wisdom in there. Now, if you wanted to, to show their support, follow you, or, or reach out for more of this wisdom, where, where could they find you online on social media? Um, so on Instagram, that's where I mostly kind of like, you know, kind of create my house. So it's buy with Javi, um, very simple. Um, and then over on Facebook, uh, Javier Garcia, if you just uh, search me on Facebook, you'll find me there as well too, LinkedIn as well. Uh, but I think most of my content is always on Instagram. Yeah. Um, so buy with Javi is my handle. Awesome. Well, Javi, on that note, I want to thank you for coming in and sharing your story and just, you know, pouring in the wisdom to, to me and to those that are listening and excited for you know, more to come. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me.